Hello everyone. Bailey here. In this episode of Data Driven, Frank interviews Kristen Kehrer, developer advocate at Comet ML and host of the Cool Data Project show. In case, you're wondering where is Andy? He was unable to make the recording due to a last-minute schedule change. The show must go on, after all. All right, hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. You, the astute among you, if you're watching this on video, will notice that Andy is not here. Andy had a last-minute schedule conflict, but we, our guest is so awesome, I wanted to interview her anyway. Her name is Kristen Kerrer, and uh, we've been kind of back and forth on LinkedIn for maybe a year, maybe two years. And um, so she just landed a new gig as a developer advocate, uh, which is near and dear to my heart because I spent a good chunk of my career doing a very similar job called developer evangelism. And we'll talk about that as well as her cool t-shirts that she uh, has, as well as a design that uh, she indirectly inspired. So welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Actually, I think, have you been on LinkedIn since 2018? I feel like it's been longer that we've I think been it going might back be. and forth. Yeah. I'm, I'm at that point where I'm like, wasn't 2018 like two years ago? Like, <laughs> right, I'm totally with you. As you get older, like time goes by faster. Like, you know, somebody said like, wait a minute, wasn't two, year 2000 like 10 years ago? And I'm like, uh, wait a minute, that, that seems right, but it's wrong. It's... Yeah. No, it'll forever be 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, awesome. So you, you uh, yeah, you and I have talked a couple of times over LinkedIn and we never got the scheduling right. And we, we, we were in the middle of switching to a new scheduling system, which had it worked as advertised, this would have been super smooth. Um, but if anyone out there in the sound of my voice understands Microsoft bookings, please feel free to reach out to me because I have, I have questions. I have many questions. But today is about... Uh, Kristen and uh, kind of um, what she does. I know if you follow her on LinkedIn, she does two things that kind of come to mind. The poetry, which is pretty cool. And um, and the computer vision experiment you did to watch for the school bus. Was that? Yeah, yeah, that was recent. And so that's a little bit on hold now because it's the middle of the summer and the bus hasn't gone by my house since the end of June. Um, but basically the school bus has to drive by my house, turn around and come back and pick my daughter up at the end of the driveway. So we're in this unique position where we just don't have sidewalks. So um, the bus is required to turn around and I, I don't have a ton of traffic on the street. So I recorded the bus going by my house a bunch of times and, and built a computer vision model to detect when the bus goes by, send me a text, and then I have time to get my daughter her shoes on um, just because of the way that it's set up. So That's cool. That is awesome. I think that's one of the things where I'm like, you know, it'd be cool if I could have that. And then, like, I never built it because, you know, ADD. But um, but the cool thing that you did it. And the other thing you you highlighted is no one told me before I became a parent how much time I would have to spend arguing with my children to put their shoes on. Yeah. I, I, I just, I just don't under, I don't get it. Like even this morning, like it's, that's why it brings up. Cause I, like, we were all ready to go to take the youngest to camp and he had no shoes on. And I'm like, dude, like, really? <laughs> An argument can come up over basically anything, anything. Oh. <laughs> My kids have this, um, charge anxiety. Um, so if their uh, if their iPad is like fifteen percent, they're like, "Oh my god, I gotta get a charger!" 
Like, or like, and now it's to the point where if it's like 80%, I got to get plugged in. Like, really? Like, uh, you we're like two minutes from the house. Like, <laughs> um, but that's cool. So, so what you, you and I were talking in the virtual green room, I guess, and, um, you, you have a background in statistics. So is that how you found, I mean, obviously I don't want to get into the questions, but like what, what led you into, um, what led you into kind of the, the data field? And if you, uh, I don't know when you got your degree, you know, you have a master's in statistics if, if I read LinkedIn, right? So yeah. cool. So, so like, and that seems like you might've done it before statistics was cool before they renamed it data science. Like what, what got you into that? Yeah, so definitely, definitely before it was cool. So I finished a bachelor's in math in 2004. Um, absolutely love math, sort of fell into it by accident. Um, you know, I'm first generation college, come from a blue collar family, and my parents thought that there'd be a lot of jobs in math. And then a couple of years later, I found myself in sort of a dead end job. And uh, my statistics professor in college who I made him put the plus when I got a 4.0 in the class. I made him put the plus on the report card, even though that's not a thing. Uh, you know, I really remembered him. And uh, I also was, you know, looking at the job market and saying, like, how do I how do I move my life forward? How do I change, you know, the, the current situation that I'm in? And I saw that statisticians were, I mean, and they make a lot more now, but at the time it was like, oh my God, these people make 80 grand a year. This was, you know, as the, the housing bubble was starting to burst. Um, and there was like a ton of different things going on. So I decided to hide in academia and yeah, that's how I got my start in data science. I've been doing data analysis now for, you know, over 12 years. Very cool. So you're you, in the fact you know, you said, I guess you're you kind of implied it earlier that your preferred languages are. And whenever I come across anyone whose preferred languages are, they tend to be kind of like the OGs of the data science world. Right. Because like I, this is going to sound really bad, but I'll say it. So it's no one in 20, like 19 or 2020 will none of the courses out there well that's probably a better way to say we'll say learn r and become a data scientist it's always python python has kind of sucked all the oxygen out of the room good bad and different like it doesn't really matter but like if someone's really into r then you know they've been around a while and they know their stuff so that's you know what i 100 agree with you i had a you know uh, one of the people that I do contract work with, she wanted me to help her daughter with her biostats course. And 100%, it was biostats being taught in Python. And I was like, whoa, you know, because sort of data science, the data science courses that they're creating um, have been doing Python for, you know, a couple of years now. They, they switched over. Um, not that they've existed that long, right? 2015 or so is, you know, when those first started coming on the scene. But the idea that a stats course isn't in SAS or Stata or R um, really sort of like, it, yeah, no, if, if somebody's in R, they're probably an OG because it's all going over to Python. Right. Well, when I started looking at this, there was a, an actual debate. Um, uh of you know should you learn r or should you learn python and you know then it became well r was you know in 2015 ish r was like the clear winner but then around a year later it was kind of like well it could go either way and then now the um the answer is kind of it's python right and i i've used both i mean obviously i i think i 
I, it's weird because I was working on a project um, and um, I was writing code in kind of this weird hybrid of C sharp and Python. Like I tend to think in this weird kind of mix of those two languages, uh, although probably leaning more towards Python now, but like I, I know a little R enough to be dangerous. But you know, whenever whenever I have a customer and they do a lot of R stuff, I know I know that they're talking about. When I talk to somebody who knows who's doing Python work, I never know. Are they been in this five years or five minutes? But with R, the average is way higher. A, if somebody's a Python person, I assume that they're coming from, you know, the the more computer science side rather than the, you know, statistics, math, pure math side. Right. Well, it's interesting. So, so you have a degree uh, and an advanced degree in math and stats, which is funny because I also come from blue collar background and my parents expressly forbid me from switching to anything that was not um, a um, medical, pre-med, lawyer or engineering. That's right? so, oh my God, that's 100% me. My parents oh, said, really? no, you're going to go to school, you're going to get a degree, you can, go, you can get a degree, you can go into the military or don't come home. And then <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a twin brother uh, and we actually both went for math and he really struggled with it. And, you know, at one point he's like, can I change my degree to music? And my parents were like, nope, we won't help you with that. And he's like, well, can I change my degree to psychology? And my parents were like, nope, we won't help you with that. And then finally they came to an agreement that, um, he could get a degree in psychology as long as he kept the minor in math and became he became a math teacher with that. Um, but it was 100%. I was not allowed to study. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have the options, but, um, you know, I've spent some time in therapy, but I'm really grateful <laughs> <for> <laughs> No, I, like, I remember. For my background, it's all worked out, and I'm very happy with what I I would say, done. like, the timing, you timed the math thing really well, like, I will say, like, uh, because, like, it's funny, because when I was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit older than you, but I'm assuming, um, but uh, when I was uh, a freshman in college, I had a Navy ROTC scholarship. And originally, uh, it was okay, doctor, lawyer, pre med, or the military. I was also told, um, you know, the the recruiting office is down. It's over on 49th Street. You go there, you're good. <laughs> Those are your choices. None of these BS degrees. And my dad, who grew up in Staten Island, he used a rather more colorful term, but I don't want to mess with our uh, clean rating on iTunes. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, so basically, like, um, because of. A, the I couldn't take a chemical engineering or, or chemical lab course because of my Navy scholarship, because I had to be on the other side of the Bronx um, to attend uh, like morning muster and all that. So I ended up taking a computer course to fulfill a math requirement. And I'm like, I loved it. Like I had a Commodore 64 as a kid. And like I, 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 I just kind of programmed it myself. I learned all that stuff. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a career. And software engineering was not like a, a term that you heard yet. Yeah. And uh, it was still, vi it was still very, so it was still very much like, is this a really a career? So I remember pulling out, um, this is how old I am, I guess, I'm pulling out at the Sunday New York Times. And my parents came over and showing them like all the jobs that there were on Wall Street doing programming and software. And I was like, see, look, like there's a thing. And then my dad slipping through it, seeing it was pretty good money too at the time. And he just looked well, a lot like today. So he's thumbing through it and he goes, well, I'm sold. This is a legitimate major, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And then my mom was horrified. My poor mom was horrified. She's like, but you're going to be one of those weird people in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then my dad said, well, you know, when he deposits his paycheck at the bank, they're not going to say, did you make this on the top floor or did you make this in the basement? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the that was the thing that kind of touched them. But I, I I totally understand. Like you know, none of these BS degrees was was kind of the thing. Like I would have loved to have kind of majored in, you know, like history or philosophy. But that was that was way off limits. So they I said I could do that on my own dime. On cruise ships. What? <laughs> I wanted to be a contortionist on cruise ships. It's yeah, a pretty good gig. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so, so ultimately though, like what, so one of the things that I've heard from, from other kind of people who have a math background, and my wife also has a, has a dual degree, uh, in math and psychology. So, uh, which is pretty funny because we're a two engineer household. So that's done some weird things to the kids. Um, <laughs> but, um, the, uh, the interesting thing is, is like my wife chose to go into security, IT security, cybersecurity, which turns out Hey, that's a hot field now. Um, but she didn't like coding to this day. She despises coding, which I find interesting that, and, and, and a lot of math kind of, uh, math centric people, when they talk about when they transition into data science, their first kind of reaction is kind of like, yeah, but I had to learn how to code. Mm-hmm. And as someone who, uh, for most of my academic career, I struggled with math. I kind of think that's funny because coding is the easy part. <laughs> For me anyway but the math part my experience is not... too though you know my my degree was pure math and so i only had to i took fortran i don't know why they had me take fortran um and then you know years later i'm getting my master's in stats and my advisor is like hey you need to go to like computer science 101 fundamentals because like you don't get it and you know uh I really, I really didn't get it. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I went in and sat and, and tried to audit this course and it didn't seem to be exactly what it is that I needed. I couldn't really see the benefit. I don't know, there weren't like nuggets that I could immediately leverage in my day-to-day life. And so, um, no, I think, you know, the the, uh, the better part of the last 10 years, I've spent, you know, struggling a bit to, to improve my coding skills. And I finally, you know, I feel really good now, um, but it took me a while to get there. Interesting. So it's interesting because like, you know, kind of the nor- normies, you know, kind of people not in the tech field, they tend to lump everything as, oh, you work in computers, can you fix my printer? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yep. Um, I know I'm I'm the de facto tech support for most of my family, and um, which is pretty funny. And, um, but, it's interesting because you know there's a lot of discrete skills that necessarily you know coding most people would lump like you you hear it all the time right you have kids you probably hear the whole stem speech right stem this stem that which was not really an acronym when i was young but also kind of like the assumption that all this is lumped together when in, in clear fact it's not you know i mean for me when i made my transition from kind of you know software engineer to data scientist it was the math that was for me the mountain i had to climb to get to the other side. And it's just interesting how to hear other people like, you know, it, it, I think it just speaks to you like, you, you know what you know because you, you've done what you've done. 
don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, right. And I think that it's, you know, such a multidisciplinary field that everyone's going to struggle with one of the main pieces, right? That's the hill you have to climb to get there. Right. It's pick up the piece, piece, piece or two that you're really missing. That's cool. That's cool. So you are now a developer advocate. I believe that's the, the, the new term. Is that? Yeah, developer advocate mm-hmm. uh, at a company called Comet. Mm-hmm. So what 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 does Comet do? Yeah, so Comet allows you to easily make your machine learning runs reproducible. So, you know, there's a Comet R library in R and there's the Comet underscore ML library in Python. And you can go and sign up right now and for free start, you know, if you've got a model, you can add one function to it and now everything that you need to make your machine learning model reproducible is going to be stored right because if you commit your code to git and then make a change and then run your model you don't actually have the last successful run and so if somebody else is using a different machine and says hey um you know this code isn't running on my machine well now you have using comment you have everything stored that you need um and also you know when you go into the dashboard there's just a ton of visuals um that it really pulls up you know out of the box and then there's also a a paid part that is um monitoring your models in production so this sounds like an ml ops play is it yes cool and for those for those that are not necessarily familiar with the term ml ops um, and and I have some thoughts on MLOps. Obviously, I work at Red Hat now, and we have a lot of experience with DevOps. But but how would you ex- what what would be your elevator pitch for MLOps? You know, I don't have one off the top of my head. Um, okay, doesn't have to be an elevator pitch. Like, how yeah, would you describe? Yeah, how would you describe it? How yeah, would you describe MLOps to not a normie, but like you know someone who's a, a data scientist? Because they're so used. Because this is this is, this is a challenge I have both in this role and, and and when I was back in Microsoft. Like, um, and and I wanna hear your impression because I'll, I'll give you my impression. I'll give you time to kind of have a, um, a, a, a spin up another thread in the back of your mind about like how you would answer that. But it's been my experience that data scientists had been historically so rare that they were treated like these precious little unicorns and they kind of did their own thing off in the business units, not in central IT. And they would come up with a model Say, say once a quarter, once a month, right? And then they would pat themselves on the back and hand over <laughs> this model code to operations and say, now it's your problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then now, as as the demands of that are you maybe putting out models weekly, daily, some cases, and, and probably in extreme cases, like hourly, uh, doing the monitoring, doing the retraining, you can't do that manually. Like, that just doesn't scale manually. And mm-hmm. I think that there's some, now that, ML ops, or, or I don't want to use that word just yet, but now that you're these machine learning models, these AI models are now table stakes and part and parcel of a much larger enterprise story. Um, ML ops is inevitable, I think, mm-hmm. because now yeah. it's a, now it's a resource to manage a lot like developers and code, right? Like, except the, the, what the product or what they make is in code per se, but what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I I agree. Actually, before you started talking, I was uh, thinking about something very similar. Uh, Basically, you've got the 
sexy things that we hear about in the news and you know those are your models and obviously we you know also hear a lot about data which when we hear about it also you know often sounds like it's just magically available um and mlops is you know what really allows for um yeah your models to be operationalized it's you know the infrastructure that allows you to get at that data it is you know the the training and retraining and tuning after the model is built um it's basically all the little pieces that are under the hood that we don't hear about i think as much um when it comes to sexy data news so how do customers react to that like well, well first off you're you're de you're i keep calling it developer evangelist because that's what we called it when i was doing it but but it's it's the same kind of thing you, I'm assuming like you, you get people excited about the technology and the product. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot of, you know, brand awareness and um, just getting in, getting in front of people and letting them know that Comet exists and that it can absolutely benefit them. Cool. Um, so, so have you encountered the same thing where data scientists are kind of like, no, 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 no. We, what we do is special. Like, do you, do you encounter that or is that kind of... And where I'm coming from, you know, I didn't start even using Git until probably 2018. So for me, I see it and I'm, I'm like, wow, you know, if you're doing science, you absolutely need to be tracking your runs. Um, you know, reproducibility is obviously like a huge tenant in science. Uh, you know, but then when I go out and I talk to people who are actually probably the right person, um, a lot of them are have already been thinking about um thinking about you know tracking their models uh but yeah I, in general i haven't been so close to um the the sales side i'm more you know talking about it at a very high level cool cool yeah i mean develop, evangelism is a is a is a fun thing to be in because so you get to play around you know like um the the I don't remember if we talked about it. this is this is means I need coffee, but I don't know if we did it in the part where we're talking now. I think we did talk about the camera feed uh, while, you know, since we started the show. <laughs> but that's cool. Like, that's a cool thing. And uh, did you use Comet Tech for that or, or did you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was actually part of. I started the project before I got the job at Comet. And, um, you know, I honestly, I, I wasn't really looking for a job. I was doing uh, freelance work, freelancing work for different companies and really enjoying it. And somebody reached out and said, hey, have you heard of um, data advocacy? And so I looked into it and was like, wow, this is something I really want to do. Reached out to about 12 companies, spoke with maybe six of them. Um, Comet's software, I felt like was the best fit for me and, you know, the type of work that I've done previously and that I'd be able to create com content that leveraged Comet. Um, and so, yeah, you know, a, a couple weeks before I started my new role, it was like, hey, what can I build and, and use Comet so that I'm able to demonstrate, you know, how I'm using it. And um, yeah, so I started, I started using Comet before I started working for Comet. Cool. Cool. So um, the next question I have is the T-shirts. You're known for kind of like having these cool T-shirts. 
and reading data focused poetry. Mm. What what inspires the data focused poetry? Because it's really cool. You got to go check it out. Um, so, yeah, I think my first poem was probably in 2019. Um, growing up, you know, when we had to like fundraise for sports or something, my mom always came up with really cheesy poems. So it's just. I don't know. It's just part of me <laughs> and cool. because I'm like not worried about putting myself out there online. I share it with the world, um, you know, in the T-shirts again, I've I've always really enjoyed being creative. Um, you know, one of my shirts is it says nice posterior and it's the, um, you know, Bayesian statistics posterior distribution formula. And so, you know, it's it's a butt pun, obviously, and that's just, you know, really how I get my kicks and I, I, you know, and that's why developer advocacy is so perfect for me is because I really do enjoy puns. I enjoy being creative. I enjoy being loud and in front of people. Um, and so it all sort of works. That's cool. That's cool. You also inspired a T-shirt design that 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 we sell on our store, Pip Install Donkeys. Yes, I own the shirt. I love it. You own the shirt. You were one of the first purchasers, actually. So nice. And it was funny. I think it was a it was a LinkedIn thread. I think this might have been one of the first threads we we talked. And it was something to the effect of either you or someone else in New England was somewhere in the country where they didn't have Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, that's and, not me. I got one on every corner. Oh, okay. No, no, they were visiting. They were traveling for work back in the before time, before the plague. Yeah. Um and um and I was like, well, can't you just go to shell out to command prompt and type in pip install donkeys? And I think you might have been the first person to comment on it. I'm like, you know, I'm thinking that should be a t-shirt. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, I missed the part where you said they were traveling. Yeah, that's um that's definitely cool. an issue when I go. It's not the same if you don't have exactly what I'm used to. <laughs> and I get it. I get it. I grew up in New York and pizza's pizza and bagels are just not the same outside of the 50 mile radius. I don't know what it is, but it is what it is. So um, let's see. So now we'll start with the, uh, uh, now we'll start with the uh, pre-canned questions, if you're cool with that. Sure. Awesome. So we kind of touched on this. So the first question is, how did you find your way into data? Did data find you or did you find data? Yeah, so I feel like I've largely been able to ride a really cool wave. Um, but like I said, you know, it was very strategic when I was going back to get my master's. I was going to get fired because I was working for a, a real estate mortgage brokerage. Oh, um, or, yeah. yeah, I was I was I, yeah, I was working for Caldwell Banker right as the housing bubble was bursting. Um, I wasn't making a lot of money. And so it was really a strategic play, um, you know, but it's been very cool. I, I definitely, you know, didn't end up where I thought I would. And I've sort of just rode the wave of um, what's looked cool at the time, what paid more money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that, that's, you know, there's not a bad way to go. You know, I mean, like following kind of that next wave you know, it, it's, it's, it takes you to interesting places. I once interviewed at a startup, and this is like 2001, 2002, um, and I'm totally blanking on the name, but basically 
it was a guy who was a surfer and he basically i think he, he, there were there were surf surfing imagery like everywhere in the office like and it was in texas it was in austin texas so it was really kind of out of place like don't really think of austin texas as the surfing capital of the world but this guy grew up around surfing he goes he basically described it is that the wave that brings you to the highest unless you while you're at the top you start looking for the next wave you will you will drown and i always thought that was an interesting thing and um it was it, it was an interesting kind of uh thing where you know this is not a field technology in general is not a field for people who don't like learning like this is an awful field <laughs> if yeah. you just think you can go learn what you need to learn and then just kick back in a cubicle for the next x number of years this is an awful field <laughs> if that's your mindset well and it's so exciting right so i'm in boston where hmm. the you know there's lots of tech the job market's really good and so i just couldn't have imagined staying at any place too long because the the demand was just so high you know i'd reply to a job posting on craigslist and a week and a half later i've got a job offer <laughs> and nice uh you know it yeah just enjoying all that i do i i mean i guess i'm weird because i really enjoy interviewing too but um you know i i think seeing different companies seeing how you know large companies function in contrast to how startups function or different, you know, I'm also an industry hopper. I've worked in the utilities, healthcare, e-commerce, and I just love seeing it all, you know? Um, and I get that some people are, you know, happy at the same company for 15 years, but I get really excited, uh, you know, seeing what's out there. That's cool. No, that's the type of flexibility, I think, is a good thing because you have all these different industry experiences, not just like the data and the math and the data science part of it, but also kind of like, what does data look like to a utility company versus healthcare? Like what, you know, what's in common and what's different? I think you you would have a pretty good handle on describing all yeah. that. Well, and it's great context too, if you're gonna be posting online, because, you know, if you post online and you're not taking into consideration what the world looks like for other people and data, you're just going to get flamed, you know? Or ignored, which might be worse. Yeah, than or ignored. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's interesting because I think, um, I think that, um, I don't know, it would be, it would be interesting to kind of see, well, here's a question I have. What, now you work for effectively a software company. You know, they may call themselves a cloud, whatever, but you work as a technology, in a technology company selling a technology product. Have you noticed like the, the cultural difference in that? Yeah, so I personally, my whole career, I've been moving from my first job was in the, you know, to this huge utility company. I was very pigeonholed. I had, you know, it was a econometric time series analysis and forecasting. It was my most technical job I've ever had, but it, it sat in this little position in the org. And, um, you know, I didn't have as much influence. And as time has gone on, I've, you know, moved to smaller companies, newer companies um, where, you know, for some reason, I don't know, what it is but like dress code is really important to me don't tell me what to wear i don't i don't want to hear what you want me to wear <laughs> 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 um 
Um, you know, and so, yeah, when I get to, uh, you know, the startup, that's really where I belong. It's really where I've always felt like I can be myself. Um, you know, when things are a little bit more stodgy, I have, you know, I, I, I honestly feel sometimes like I'm not able to be my true authentic self at work because I don't feel like I'm going to be accepted, you know? Um, and so I do, I, I love the culture of startups. That's cool. That's cool. Um, you mentioned econometrics, which if memory serves, someone told me that that's based heavily on something called linear algebra. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're nodding, so that's correct. That's good. <laughs> My memory works. Um, have you delved into, have you looked at quantum in any like serious way? Have you kind of like looked at quantum computing or quantum algorithms? No, not oh, Okay. Just, just curious. Mm -hmm. Did you say you're not a quant? No, I said I'm not a quantum girl. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I thought you're not a quant. I was like, I thought quants were like people on Wall Street. But anyway, um, it's just what I. One of the things I, other than being a, um, wanting to be a contortionist on cruise ships, I did also have visions of myself on Wall Street. Never lived up to them. <clears throat> it's overrated. I worked in Wall Street. <laughs> like I, one of my first jobs. Um, well, I was an EMT for a while and I'm um, one of my first jobs, uh, was I got a tech support job on a training floor on wall street and it was stressful, but like, you know, for after the first couple of days, my boss was like, well, what do you think? How's it going? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I like it. It's pretty cool. And he goes, you're not like stressed out by it. And I was like, this is a lot like being an EMT with a lot less guts and gore mm -hmm. and no one. No one's gonna like stab me or like come out of the corner. <laughs> I mean, there there always was there was this one guy who had a, carried a golf club around, and he always threatened people to hit him over the head with it. But aside from that, <laughs> it was much less stress. Uh, so Wall Street, <laughs> Wall Street's a bit overrated in that sense. But um, but that's that that that's cool. Um, so the next question is, and I think this dovetails really nicely. What's your favorite part of your current gig? Um, definitely that, you know, I have a lot of creative freedom, whether it's creating poems, writing blog articles, like right now I'm working on a blog article. Um, I get to meet tons of people. So I guess this isn't, you know, a single favorite part of my job, but you know, somebody reached out the other day from Reddit and was like, Hey, you want to like hop on a call? That's and cool. I was like, Oh man, this is Reddit. I don't know this dude. There was no, um, you know, lead up or anything. I was like, oh, you know, he's probably a creep or this is a waste of time. And then I get on and <clears throat> this guy was delightful. And now we're like friends and we're actually the blog article that I'm writing is part of a series together. And so I, I have the opportunity to just meet people, meet people in data, talk about what they're doing, talk about what I'm doing, talk about what our goals are uh collaborate like i just love it all cool all right we have uh three fill in the blank uh complete the sentence when i'm not working i enjoy blank pole dancing really yeah interesting cool yeah, i have a pole in the basement um i've competed before that is uh like a huge part of my life Interesting. They have competitions in this? 
Oh yeah, no, it's becoming a very organized sport. Um, there's like the whole sports organization um, and a couple other that, you know, there's like a world pole championships. There's really? a national pole championships. Yeah, I've competed in the New England regional championships, um, you know, and it's becoming a very organized sport and, uh, you know, it, it takes incredible athleticism. Interesting. Interesting. I had no idea it was a sport. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, that sounded fun, but I had no idea it was like an organized sport. That that's interesting. I've heard of like it becoming like this, like this huge workout routine that's very popular, but I had no idea that it would become like organized like that. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so complete the sentence. I think the coolest thing in technology today is blank. Oh man, I wish I had prepared for this before I came coolest thing in technology. I think for me, you know, over the last 10 years, I have watched so much of data become so much easier, right? All these libraries that come out that help us with data cleaning and exploratory data analysis, or, you know, even the idea that, you know, somebody wrote a program that helps you stem all your words for text analysis, right? Like all these things that weren't available previously that are available now. And I just look and I'm like, man, that's, I used to do that in Excel and that'd be a whole day, you know? (laughs) And now it's like two lines in Python and I'm done. It is pretty amazing when you think about the rich ecosystem that exists. And I suspect it's probably why Python, not that R didn't have that, you know, rich ecosystem too. Um, but, you know, the idea that you can just, you know, pip install NLTK and then boom, now you have a natural language toolkit installed, right? You don't have to roll your own. You don't do the stemming, like all the stuff you said. It's like, that's incredibly powerful. Like, and, yeah. and I think, I think one of the things that I've noticed over the last, say, 10 years is the notion of code being kind of very solitary type, mm-hmm. writing code being a very solitary type task. So now it's much more of a community type thing. And I think GitHub is probably that written really large in that regard. Yeah, no, actually, that's that's one of the big things for me, too. It was very lonely getting a master's degree in statistics. And now it's like you have this huge. I've got, you know, 88,000 followers on LinkedIn. And I'm able to talk every day with meet new people all around the world. Um, And so, yeah, there's still, you know, often a language barrier, but I'm, you know, I'm able to meet people from everywhere and they get really excited to talk about data, which is something that like, if you walk up to your friends and you want to talk about data, like they are not interested. (laughs) That is true. That is true. Um, All right. The next question. Um, Complete the sentence. I look forward to Oh, I mean, I'm still waiting for the robot that's going to do my dishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love a robot that would get my kids shoes on. <laughs> like that would be that would be epic, but um but yeah. Um all right, so uh share something different about yourself, but remember uh, we want to keep our our link our uh, iTunes um, uh, clean rating. Yeah, so um, I'm one of those like serious Disney nerds. Um, oh, really? I have. Yeah, I've got uh, Mickey Mouse on my necklace, and I've been wearing the same Mickey Mouse around my neck for like three years now. 
I have Mickey Mouse tattoos. Um, you know, for a while before COVID, we were going to Disney World every year. Uh, in February this year, we were in um, on a Disney cruise. And oh, so, cool. you know, I'm one of those like real serious Disney fans. Very cool. Um, that's awesome. Like, um, I definitely have questions because we haven't been to Disney in uh, in a number of years. So not since the youngest was born. So I have questions, but <laughs> later. Um, all right. So where can people learn more about you and what you're doing? Yeah. So the best place to find me is always on LinkedIn. I spend an obscene amount of time there. Um, and so absolutely look me up on LinkedIn. Cool. I also spend an obscene amount of time on LinkedIn as well. But it's like you said, like it's a great place to start conversations. It's not as um, um, creepy or weird as Twitter. It's not as fake as Instagram. And it's not talking to people that you, know, you went to high school with like you would on Facebook, right? And LinkedIn kind of is my jam as well. So like, I get it. Um, do you, uh, Audible is a sponsor of the show. Uh, do you do audiobooks or if not? I do listen to audiobooks. Cool. Man. Do you have a favorite recommendations? So um, I'm not sure if it's on Audible, but anytime anyone asks me for a book recommendation on a podcast, I always say Kathy O'Neill's Weapons of Math Destruction because I just think that it is so well written and it is such an important topic. Um, You know, data ethics and um, ethics in AI. Interesting. Let's see. I'm checking to see if it's on if it's uh, on Audible. According to this, it is. Nice. Awesome. So um, if you want, if folks listening, you can go to thedatadrivenbook.com and it'll route you to an Audible site. Um, and then you'll get one free audiobook on us. And um, nice. that's cool. Yeah. And uh, if you get the subscription, we get a little bit of a, you know, pat on the back and enough maybe to buy a Starbucks coffee. I don't know. I haven't. Check with no, their, donuts. <laughs> of course, donkeys. Yeah, I, I meant Dunkin' Donuts. Their coffee is expensive, though. Like, if you need the caffeine fix, I personally think that um, their iced tea is a best. Uh, their unsweet tea is a better deal. Yeah, and I, it's pretty good too. Opinions like, opinions on Starbucks iced tea versus Dunkin' Donuts iced tea. <laughs> oh, Starbucks iced tea is lacking. Yeah, it's <laughs> but a, the Dunkin' Donuts iced tea is on fire. No, yeah. Little, it's, it's probably the most underrated thing that they have, I would say. Oh, my God. Have you tried the, like, unsweetened raspberry flavor? They have, like, unsweetened flavors no. now. Because I drink my tea black, and, um, yeah, they have, I, and I think blueberry. I'm a big fan, but not of the, check that out. the raspberry. But <laughs> I will check that out. There's actually a Dunkin' Donuts a um, couple miles from here. So I'm in Maryland. We don't quite have the same density of Dunkin' Donuts. Then. I live in such a tiny town and we have three, like there's wow. every corner. <laughs> That's, funny. That's funny. I could, I have one like less than a mile from here. And I tell you, you look out my front door, it is conservation land and trees. Like it is not dense. And I've got a donkey's less than a mile from me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's convenient. All right. So uh, any last, um, any last thoughts? No, just thank you so much for having me on here. I feel like, you know, we haven't actually chatted and, but we've been, you know, familiar for the last couple of years. And so it was really great to have the opportunity to speak with you. Well, thank you. And likewise, likewise, awesome stuff. Keep up the great work and I'll let the nice British lady end the show.
Now that was quite an interview. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. Of course, you have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.